Well, we had a request recently that I would spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the use of the tongue. Most of us cannot go through our days without speaking to people, uh, and our tongue can be used in a number of ways. But as we begin to start to talk about the use of the tongue um, during this lesson, let's go on over to Philippians 4.8 first, and let's try to get a, uh, a basis of what might direct us to say and to do certain things. Notice Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good rapport, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I think it's important that we start with Philippians 4.8 here first because the majority of us understand that our actions, they start first in our mind. The things that we think about, the things that we, we contemplate and ponder, the things we dream about. Uh, the basis of our thoughts is seen in both our words and our actions. Oftentimes when people think about uh, who they would describe as bad people, they normally think of actions first. They talk about things like being a thief or whatever that sin might be, but we realize that the things that we think about are demonstrated through both our actions and our words. Now, many of us would admit that at some time we haven't used appropriate words or we have used hurtful words towards other people. And certainly, as a Christian, this ought to concern us to a great deal. Now, I'm going to go on over to James chapter 1. We're going to look at a, different, a couple of different sections of passages here. Go over to James 1, 26-27. James says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion, or his worship, is vain. Now, I'm going to go back real quick to James 1, 8, because it really points back to this earlier in the, in the previous chapter. He says, A double-minded man is unstable, in all his ways. Now you may be wondering, what exactly is a double-minded man? That literally could be rendered a two-spirited man. Uh, you can't be religious and yet have an uncontrolled tongue like the world or like those people around us. What's James's point? Well, if you think you're religious and you can't control your tongue, you've deceived yourself regarding your true state of righteousness. And I think the majority of us have probably seen this. We have probably seen people who claim to be righteous, they claim to be followers of God, and then you listen to them, and you think, how could they even come to this conclusion? It's the same thing that we oftentimes will see on social media. Maybe they're not speaking the words, but we look at their words. I can't tell you how many times I have seen those who claim to be Christians, who use foul language, who use hateful language. It happens quite often. Well, let's go on over to James chapter 3 and look at verses 8 through 12 as he gives us some more understanding about the tongue. He says, But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not, to be, ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. James shows just how inconsistent the tongue, and really it's referring back to man, man's use of the tongue really is. Basically, what he says is, is with, our, with our tongues we bless the Lord, and yet we go out and we curse people who are made in the very likeness and the image of God. Now, once you think about how illogical it is for a Christian's mouth to both give blessings and cursings, it, it's just as illogical as constantly talking about God and then going out and constantly using profanity or talking about impure things or acting in an impure way. All of those things are clearly illogical. Now, you may ask yourself, well, how is it even possible that we do this? I mean, why do we do this? I think some of us have even asked ourselves that question. Why, why do I do this? 
Well, most of us have to admit that at one moment we have done exactly what we're talking about here. We know that it in fact happens. Uh, and what's sad is, is for all of us at Christians, who are Christians, at some time we, we have gone out and we've used encouraging words and we have tried to uplift those who are downtrodden and those who are struggling, and yet we can also go around and in the very next moment, instead of words of encouragement, we're actually tearing somebody down. Or we're actually talking about somebody behind their back. Or we're actually doing something destructive with our mouth. Now you see again how illogical it is that one side of our mouth we can come out and we can, we can bless and we can uplift and we can encourage and then out of the other side of the mouth, maybe to a totally different person because we deem we don't like them or what, whatever. We can curse them, we can speak evil of them. Uh, we, we can just do a lot of damage. And James says, brethren, these things ought not to be so. He gives us all of those examples and says, it, it just, you shouldn't be doing this. It's plain wrong. Now, this has a connection back to the double-minded man or the double-spirited man we had back there in James 1.8. Uh, we're not being fully faithful to the teachings of Jesus. We haven't surrendered our tongue to Jesus we haven't bridled our tongues like James describes if we can go out and we can use our tongue for good at one minute and then just turn around and begin to use our tongue for evil the next. We can't be focused on God and have hurtful and filthy and impure tongues. Again, it, it seems fairly consistent uh, that it, it's just illogical for us to go think that we can do things like that. As a matter of fact, we really ought to be condemned every time we come into the building and we use our mouths for, for worship. And we, we ought to be thinking to ourselves, here I am using my mouth to praise and to worship God, and yet maybe I didn't use it that way during this week. Maybe I, I, I spoke in ways that I ought not to speak. How is it that our mouths are praising God when earlier in the week we were saying things that we really had no business saying? Again, those are the things that probably ought to be on our mind. As a matter of fact, our words of worship really ought to, ought to um, uh, condemn our consciences because of all the different things that we have used our mouths for. Well, we know we've all done it, but we should all want to do better. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, if we go back to James's illustrations, James used quite a few illustrations there in James 3, 11 through 12. He says, you know, a spring doesn't pour out both fresh water and salt water. And that's true, it doesn't. I've, we had springs on our farm growing up. Uh, I never saw salt water come out of any of those. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't give you regular water at one point and then give you salt water at some other point. He says a fig tree can't bear olives. Well, that's true. I've never seen a fig tree that had olives, just as I've not seen an apple tree that was growing pears. Now, again, we get it logically. He says a grapevine can't produce figs. Well, that's true. He says a body of salt water doesn't produce fresh water, right? None of us expect to go out to uh, Lake Michigan for the day to spend time on the beach and then expect salt water to be there as opposed to fresh water. We know that's not how it happens. So what's his point to all of these different examples that he gives us? Well, a Christian can't have a mouth that curses or uses hurtful or inconsiderate or impure words and then turn around and think that it's okay to think that it's, it's logical to use uplifting and encouraging words. The two things are just contrast one to the other. It doesn't make any sense. And yet again, I mean, let's be honest, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I've done it. Uh, I try to do it less and less, and I try to catch myself when I do it. I try to quickly apologize when I do it. I think one of the problems we have is, is for many of the people, and, and I'll just speak for the United States, when you begin to think about the United States here in America, now, we do have the freedom of speech. As a matter of fact, the, the government grants us and protects our rights to openly say whatever it is that we believe. They, they uh, allow us to say it uh, however we want, as long as it's peaceful. You could think of protests, for example. Uh, but 
that doesn't mean that God grants the same permissions that our government does. God has an awful lot to say about what it is that we believe. He has an awful lot to say about what it is that we say. He tells us specifically in our inspired scriptures what it is that we can believe and what it is that we can say and what it is that we must do when we practice our faith. Uh, and so we should have this understanding that as we read through the scriptures, God tells us what we can and cannot say with His blessing or with His approval. So let's start off and, and spend a little bit of time talking about the positives of the tongue. <clears throat> Certainly our mouths, our ability to speak and to, to talk to others is uh, a good thing. And so one of the things that our mouths can be used for is for blessings. Now, we can directly bless or point, point people towards God. Uh, and it's interesting, as I think about all the nonsense going on around us, and I think about all the people who are out using their, their mouths to promote different kind of social movements, I have to just say, and it doesn't matter what social movement it is, there is no social movement that even comes close to ranking up to the confessing of our faith in Christ. Listen to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You've got people out who are professing confessing their faith that they have in whatever social movement it is. And guys, there's, there's nothing more important than professing or confessing your faith in Christ. That's one of the things that we ought to be doing daily, not only with our actions, but also primarily with our words. Now, certainly people will see that we are Christians through our actions, uh, but they also see it through our words. As a matter of fact, the two things need to go like this. They need to be, they need to be completely intertwined. Again, it is so illogical for me to say that I'm a Christian and then condone homosexuality, which is clearly condemned in the Bible, even though people might hear this and reject that. Uh, it's just clearly condemned time and time again. Uh, it would be illogical for me as a Christian to go out and use my mouth to promote things like abortion, to promote things or condone things such as adultery or such as fornication, and the list would go on and on. My mouth can be used for a blessing, and one of those things is really to confess faith in Christ and to partnership up through my actions in confessing my faith in Christ. <clears throat> we also use our mouths to worship God. Let's listen to Hebrews 13, 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We use our mouths continually to give thanks to God. We specifically do it during worship. We sing, we pray, we teach, we preach. This is, I mean, this is a blessing to the body that is gathered together. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than gathering together as a body on the Lord's Day and singing together uh, a cappella as we've been instructed for our worship. Our mouths are not only used to bless God or to bless people by pointing them to God. They are blessed specifically. They're used to bless specifically man in general. One of the ways we do that is simply by preaching and teaching the gospel. Listen to Romans 1, 15 through 16, because Paul really got this. He certainly understood the importance of his words. In Romans 1.15, Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul understood just how important his words were. Why? Well, one of the things he could do was to go out and to bless man. How would he do that? He would preach them the gospel. It's what we do during work, right? When we go to work, uh, we may not be able to stand up and present a sermon, but we can sit down at lunch or when we're on our breaks and we can, we can discuss the gospel. And we literally should be able to do it. We should really kind of have a basic, I'm going to call it a sermon outline, but we ought to be able to sit down and to have that type of discussion where we're pointing, pointing man 
towards what the gospel teaches regarding salvation and how to be a faithful Christian. That's one of the primary uses for our mouth. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me pause for a minute. How in the world are you going to do that without a mouth? Uh, The preaching of the gospel is always done through language. Uh, You may say, well, what about sign language? Well, just there again, you see sign language. So again, it is a language. uh, And maybe you are using hands and you're signing. But the gospel is always presented through language. That is the medium in which the Bible actually tells us what God wants, right? The medium is always words. He goes on and he gives us the basis of what we, what we should be preaching. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That's the, that's the general focus of what we ought to be uh, preaching and teaching around people. Now, there's a lot more included, but that's where we're driving them to, right? We're trying to get them to believe, and if they believe, they're going to obey the gospel. Uh, they're, going to be, they're going to be added to the church and become Christians. They're going to be saved. Well, our mouths also do a lot more for man in general. Now, let me say this before I I continue on. Sometimes what I'm going to talk about here, it's not received very well. Uh, But that doesn't mean that it's not a way that we're trying to bless people. One of the ways we bless men in general is to warn and rebuke those in danger. Uh, Maybe those who have, have already left the faith. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Paul tells Timothy, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Let me pause for a minute. You may be saying, well, wait a minute, he's talking to a young evangelist here. Well, we could, we could actually break every one of these down, but what he's telling the evangelist here, Timothy, to do, these are things that we as Christians are also told in other parts of Scripture to do. Why? Mankind in general needs to be warned and rebuked. And that's part of what he's telling him here. He goes on. And he lets us understand why he's telling them this. And as we read this, it's the same for us. This is the reason we need to be warning and rebuking our fellow man and even our brethren. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Right? They need somebody to explain to them that that's not sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. One of the things that we use our mouth for is to go out. It's not to just preach and teach, but there are those around us whose souls are in danger, either in danger because they've never obeyed the gospel or they're in danger because they obeyed the gospel and they're not faithful anymore like we find here. right? They've, they're not enduring sound doctrine anymore. I don't think there's anything more loving that one can do than to go out and to use, use your words to try to explain to them that they're in danger to warn them, to rebuke them. Listen to Titus 1, 10 through 13. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, specifically they of the circumcision, he's talking about the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped. Let me pause for a minute. If somebody is teaching, let's say, a false doctrine, and let's say they're teaching that uh, you can be saved without baptism, how are you going to stop their mouths? Well, I can't literally go over and put my hands on their mouth and keep them quiet. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I were to do that, they could, they could call the police and probably have me uh, charged for assault. Uh, but I can stop their mouths by using my own mouth to prove that what it is that they're teaching is wrong. And so if somebody were to teach false doctrine, such as you can be saved without baptism, I'd, I'd take them over to 1 Peter 3.21 and I'd ask them, how is it that here it says baptism saves, but you say baptism does not? Let's go to the conversion accounts. Let's take them over there and show them how it is that everybody was saved and that everybody that was saved had submitted to the act of baptism. Right? I'm going to use my mouth by book, chapter, and verse, not my opinion, book, chapter, and verse to show them that what they, what they believe or what they're teaching is totally contradictory to the Scriptures. Right? Usually what happens is, is I've, I have found that when you, begin to, when you begin to quote book, chapter, and verse... Uh, most people don't have a leg to stand on. They just give up, right? So that's how I'm going to stop their mouths. Sometimes that, that needs to happen. He goes on, who subvert whole houses. There are whole houses that are ruined and overcome of because these these uh, vain talkers. He says, teaching things which they ought not. He ought, they ought not to be teaching these things because they're not true. 
He says, for filthy lucre's sake. Some of them are just doing it for money. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Let me point something out here. This isn't in my notes, but I'm going to tell you this really aggravates me. I see a lot of people who will quote... uh, I'll just give you an example. Uh, I've seen people who have quoted... Joel Olstein or Francis Chan or people like that, and I've asked, this, these are ministers, I've asked them, why do you, why do you quote false teachers? Uh, because what you're doing is, is you're taking people over to false doctrine, uh, and if they've never obeyed the gospel, they're not learning truth anyways, or even if the quote that you're using is truth, but that false teacher teaches false doctrine somewhere else, what you're doing is, is you're placing them in a dangerous situation because they'll go read this material thinking that since you've posted this quote that this guy's okay. And I've had a number of ministers take me back to this uh, verse right here where he says, you know, Paul, Paul quoted from uh, a prophet, or well, from, from a speaker. He used a speaker's quote here. Well, what he did was uh, he did take them back there, but he's not teaching doctrinal matter. Paul's not teaching doctrinal, doc, doctrinal matter by going back here and giving this quote. Uh, about the Cretans always being liars. Guess what? That, is, that was their reputation. You guys heard the, uh, we don't use the phrase very much anymore, but that guy's a Cretan, right? He's a despicable person. Yeah, Paul quotes over here and he uses that quote there, and the idea is, is true, but he's not teaching doctrinal matter by quoting that. Guys, it's, it's, it's illogical to use this verse to support promotion of false teachers. We could look at a number of verses that talk about false teachers. As a matter of fact, we'll look at one here in a little bit. We ought not to have anything to do with that. We're not going to offer or even appear to offer God's speed to those who are false teachers. When you see somebody use this verse to condone promoting quotes from false religious teachers, just ask yourself first, is it logical? Paul's not teaching doctrinal matter here or, or quoting this guy to teach doctrinal matter. And second of all, do we have additional verses that, can, that condone us promoting false doctrine? Or false teachers, let's say, that, let's say false teachers because the quote may be accurate, but the teacher himself is a false teacher, right? I can go quote, I can quote Catholics and find quotes that are acceptable. I'm sure I could find some good quotes from Hitler, right? That's what I'm trying to say. We don't go out and, we don't go out and condone uh, these false teachers, even when the quotes are good. And that's not what Paul's doing here. So when you hear that argument, that's, it's just illogical. Again, there are numerous verses talking about false teachers. All right. One of the things that we do need to be doing, though, is we do need to be rebuking. We need to be warning. We need to be out preaching and teaching. And part of that preaching and teaching is rebuking and warning. When I deal with people, even in my secular job, who might ask me a question, I'll just use an easy one. How about abortion? They would ask me that. If they were to ask me what does what do I think about it, uh, I would turn them to the Bible. I'd say, well, I base my beliefs on, on the Bible, and so no, that's not acceptable. Uh, we ought to be pointing people towards the Bible, right? Now, for those who are Christians, uh, we don't need to be quite as gentle. We simply go back and say, that's not what the Bible teaches. For those who are not Christians, we need to, we need to point them towards the Bible, uh, and we'll do that with our mouths. That's one of the uses of the mouth. One of the uses of our mouth is to spread cheer and comfort to other people. How many times have you had to help a struggling Christian? And maybe they weren't even a Christian. Maybe it was just somebody you know who, uh, who's struggling with something. It's quite often I'll have people tell me about something that, that has happened that's really bad. I had somebody this morning uh, who was in- involved in a situation where some good came, but something really bad happened. Somebody ended up passing away. Sometimes people are down and they need us to help them uh, have comfort. First Thessalonians 4.18, Wherefore, comfort one another... With these words. Now, clearly in context, he's talking about Christians, but we know that the non Christian around us uh, oftentimes can be drawn to Christ by us comforting them when they're struggling. Another use of our mouth, and this will be the last one as we talk about the good uses of our mouth, it's to promote peace between men and to overcome religious confusion. 
That's probably not what most people think of when they, when they think about being a peacemaker. That's what I ultimately think of. If I want to be a peacemaker, certainly, yeah, that does happen from man to man and in relationships, but the most important way probably is, is being a peacemaker as far as religious matters go. Listen to Matthew 5, 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers do deal with man-to-man situations, but we also deal with religious uh, situations. Let me give you an example. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Now, most when you hear that passage, for those who are members here, all of you know exactly what this is dealing with. This is dealing with a sin between uh, two brethren or two sisters in Christ. And Jesus lays out the manner in which we are to reconcile or to deal with this. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So you're going to use your mouth, your words, to go over and to privately discuss this matter between you and him. Why? Well, if he's sinned against you, there's, there's an issue that needs to be addressed. He goes on. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Well, how simple to be able to go over and talk to somebody with your words, express to them what it is that they've done to you. Maybe they don't even know. Uh, and to try to reconcile the matter. Well, it may not be reconciled. He goes on, verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Again, notice the focus on the, the tongue here. It's, used, it's being used to try to reconcile a situation between two brethren. It goes on, verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, so you still haven't reconciled the matter, even though you've had... Uh, three Christians there, uh, or four Christians there, three of which are to uh, address the sin regarding this one person, or to actually see if the other person's in sin also. And if he shall neglect to hear them, so wait a minute, if he won't listen to them, then they're using their words also. So now you've got, you've got at least four people uh, using their mouths to discuss this matter and trying to resolve uh, this situation with reconciliation. But if he won't hear them, he says, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, now you've got a whole congregational body using their mouths to deal with this brother uh, or to discuss the matter and to see what needs to be done next. Uh, maybe it is to send somebody else to go back and talk with him again. This may take a, a couple of times to try to get him to repent of whatever this issue is. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now let me say this, a lot of people are going to think it's pretty confrontational, right? I go over, I knock on someone's door and I say, listen, uh, there's an issue between you and I or, or maybe I'm even with somebody to, uh, to help them deal. Maybe it's, I've had somebody ask, well, what if, what if it's a single lady and this is a guy? Well, you might be, you might be the member of the church, the gentleman she takes with her uh, to go over and to address the matter, right? And some would say, this is really confrontational. No, it's not. This is the process of peacemaking, according to our inspired scriptures, being carried out. That's one of the things that we use our words for. It's for peacemaking. But it's not just from the brother-to-brother uh, -brother or sister-to-sister -sister situation, maybe, that we've got going on. There's peacemaking when it comes to religious matters, right? I ought to be able to sit down logically with a Catholic, or a Baptist, or a Methodist, or a Pentecostal, whatever somebody believes, we ought to be able to sit down. And if our goal is to be uh, in one regarding Scripture, and clearly, let me just say, I'm not at one with those groups, but I'd like to be at peace with them regarding doctrinal matters. But if that's going to take place, and, and it ought to be able to logically, we ought to be able to sit down and to use our words and to discuss why it is we believe what we believe based on Scripture. Uh, and and in either of those situations, we ought to be able to come to peace regarding whatever that situation is over the Bible. Does it happen? Not very often. It does happen. Uh, we have a number of members here who have, who have come to peace regarding doctrinal matters with people who they once disagreed with. So those are some of the positive uses of our tongue. Now let's focus in on some of the negative uses of the tongue. Our mouths can be used for cursing. <laughs> Not really unusual, maybe so much in my work uh, environment. Uh, 
The other morning I came in on third shift, I asked uh, a lady how she was doing, uh, how, the, how the shift had gone, and we talked for a few minutes, and I can't even tell you how many times she used the F word as we talked. Uh, and I don't even think she realized she did it. Um, that's not the only way that we, we have words of cursing, but you may be asking, how is it that somebody gets to the point where they talk like that, or they, they're one of those that has that type of language? I think it's because their mind's not focused on where we started, which is Philippians 4.8. A mouth of cursing comes from, from minds that don't think on things such as those things that are true, and those things that are honest, and those things that are just, and those things that are pure, and those things that are lovely, or those things that are of good rapport. When you have a mind that focuses on those types of things, you don't normally have a mouth that is full of cursing or these negative type language that many people use their mouths for. Is it, some people think it's just a mouth problem. I would go so far as to say it's not a mouth problem, it's more of a mind problem. Uh, they don't have their minds focused where they need to be. And Philippians 4.8 really gives us the basis for where our minds ought to be focused. And so our mouths can oftentimes be used for cursing. Our mouths can be used to serve the will of Satan. You may say, that's, that's a, a pretty hard stretch. Well, listen to James 3.6. He, he describes the tongue for us again. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity or sin. So is the tongue among our members, our bodies, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell." Now let's break this down a little bit. The tongue is a fire. Uh, the, tongue can, the tongue can get angered up. It can, it, it can come and get out of control just like a fire. I think most of us understand fires are beneficial. I certainly understand that. When I grew up, we didn't have a furnace in our house. We, we had backup heat, but we primarily heated just with wood. We had fire in the house. Uh, and so if you were to ask me if fire is a, is a horrible thing, certainly not. It's what kept us warm uh, when, we were, when we were younger. But I also understand that that which is good sometimes has, can have a negative effect or can also be used for bad. Uh, when I think of fire growing up, I, and I love the smell of fire. It was a good thing, but guys, I recall one time when we opened the door there to the stove to load wood and, and uh, coals came out and the house caught on fire. And my, my point is simply this, that yes, fires are beneficial, but at the same point, they're extremely dangerous. They can be destructive and they can get out of control real fast. And that's what James is trying to teach us here when he says the tongue is like a fire or is a fire. He says it's a world of iniquity or sin. Mouths can stir up a whole lot of sinfulness and they can do it real quick. Uh, it doesn't take very long oftentimes for somebody to suggest to be involved in something sinful and simply by the use of those words to recommend or suggest they do something sinful, they can get involved in that very quickly. Uh, and the words and the actions that follow, they can defile the whole body. And that's what James is trying to get us to understand. These words, your tongue, it can lead you into sin, and it can do it really quick. And like we learned from uh, just earlier in the verse, it, it can get out of control really fast, right? The tongue can be used for great things, but it can also be used for very negative things. He says, and it is set on fire of hell. You know, sometimes people's words are literally inspired by hell itself. And our tongues can be used really as, an, I would say, as an implement of Satan, right? How many of you guys have ever heard Satan did that? I don't know Satan doing anything in this world. Who carries those things out, though, on behalf of Satan? Men do. Satan doesn't have a printing press or a, a computer and produce pornography. Men do that. Uh, Satan doesn't go out and, and commit fornication with people, although... Uh, I'm sure he's thrilled when men carry that out on his behalf. And the same thing is true when it comes to the tongue. To say that somebody really has a, a, a tongue that is inspired by hell itself would simply be to say that they have a tongue that condones the things that hell itself would condone, the things that Satan would condone. And guys, a lot of people use their tongues in this manner to go out and to promote the things that Satan would be thrilled with. 
You may say, well, how in the world could that even be? Now, let me give you another example. Unholy mouths or tongues inspired by hell itself, they might go out and teach false doctrine. And you may say, that's a pretty big stretch. No, it's not. False doctrine certainly would be condoned by, by Satan himself, but Satan's not out preaching false doctrine. Men are. Men who believe false doctrine or men who want to promote false doctrine, they're out doing that. Uh, they're allowing their tongue, their mouths, to be an implement on Satan's behalf. Listen to 2 John 1, 9-11 if you don't think for a second that somebody out teaching false doctrine isn't really being an implement on Satan's behalf. 2 John 1, starting in verse 9, "...whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God." If somebody is following a doctrine that is not of God, is not the doctrine of Christ, where do you think they heard that at? Somebody whose mouth is being used really as an implement on Satan's behalf. They're the ones that are out teaching these doctrines. Satan didn't come up with the Methodist doctrine. Some man did. Right? He's being an implement on Satan's behalf. The same thing with the Catholic Church. You'll find that in the Bible. Same thing with the Pentecostal Church. Uh, same thing with churches of Christ who are teaching false doctrine, right? Satan, Satan's not preaching behind the pulpits of some of these unfaithful churches of Christ, but those who are, who are teaching false doctrine, they are literally using their mouth as an implement on Satan's behalf. Now, they may not even know it, but they are. And he goes on, "...he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine..." They're using their mouth to teach something else. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Let me pause for a second. So somebody's teaching false doctrine. I'm not to bid them Godspeed. We also have the understanding we're not to have really anything to do with them. Let me go back to earlier where I said people will quote people like Francis Chan. Francis Chan, he believes in baptism. And I've seen a lot of brethren in the church quoting Francis Chan. And they say, well, the quote's correct, right? He, he believes in baptism by immersion. Let me tell you what he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe that baptism is necessary uh, for salvation. He, he, he believes in faith-only salvation. He believes in the, in, in the miraculous uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in the unity of the church and the one body. And I could continue on. So why would I quote a supposed scriptural quote from Francis Chan when the rest of his doctrine is false doctrine, right? He may have used his mouth for 20 seconds to give a quote that's actually in alignment with the Scriptures. But I'll tell you what, I am in no way going to appear to give this guy Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. For everyone who is a Christian, next time you post some false teacher, you're posting his words, you need to ask yourself, am I a partaker of this guy's evil deeds? By the very simple fact that I'm promoting non-Christians to this guy, making, him think, making them think that I condone what he's saying, uh, or the very fact that you're misleading Christians and giving the impression that you think that what that guy is, is saying is, or that that guy is okay, right? Again, I've had many of them fall back and say, well, Paul, Paul quoted from somebody and the, the quote was true. I don't think Paul was quoting from him to teach on doctrinal matters such as baptism. So why would I use a false teacher to try to teach something that's sound? Why don't you use quotes from brethren? Point them to a faithful gospel preacher. You, if you found a faithful quote from, jo, from Joel Olsen, well, Joel Olsen, there's no faithful quote. If you found a faithful quote from Francis Chan, I guarantee you, if it's actually a faithful quote, you'll find the same quote being made by a minister within the churches of Christ. Use that guy's quote. Point them to a faithful gospel preacher. Not over to Francis Chan, who doesn't believe in the unity of one body, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Not in the guy who's teaching the miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I, I could go on and on. I'll get off my soapbox today. But a lot of people are using their tongues, and they're really being an implement on Satan's behalf. Our mouths can also be used to curse men. You ever known somebody to use their mouth to ruin somebody else's good name or their reputation by telling lies about them. A number of people have used their words to go out and to simply lie about somebody else. They don't like them, they don't care for them, and so to make other people think 
bad about them, they, they tell lies about them. Uh, I've had that happen before. I'm, I'm sure many of you that are watching this have had that happen. That's a misuse of our mouths. You ever known someone to maybe not go out and directly lie about somebody, but they might give you the impression that that person does wrong things or bad things by insinuating, right? They don't actually come out and say that that person is, let's say, let's say being unfaithful to their spouse, but they may come over, even though it was a, maybe a harmless conversation in the office, let's say a Christian was talking to a male who's married, was talking uh, to a female over there, and they were talking about work-related matters, totally, totally uh, sincere, nothing going on, and somebody might come over and insinuate, insinuate, going to use their words to insinuate that maybe there's impure motives over there. And by doing such, they could hurt that person's reputation. You think that's ever happened? We know that it has. It happens all the time. You ever known somebody that would ruin somebody else's reputation by going over and telling a couple secrets here and there, things that maybe the good stuff nobody knew about? I think all of us have known Christians who went behind somebody's back and told secrets about somebody. Let me say this. Uh, there's some, there are some things that people really don't need to know. And there's some things that people ought not to know. Uh, I don't really, I've been a Christian since uh, April of 2010. Uh, there's some things I've done prior to 2010 I don't really want my children to know about. There's some things that I've done before 2010, before I was a Christian. Well, much probably years before that, but there's some things that I, I wouldn't want even really members of the congregation here to know. Sometimes I use those as a teaching example, uh, but I'm not proud of those things, and so it might be beneficial to me, at least to my reputation, if some would not go out and tell some of those things that, that I have done. I had a gentleman get mad at me one time. Um, I didn't look down on him for it, but he had mentioned to me that he had been in prison uh, for drug use. He had become a new Christian, and um, I told him, I said, you know, really, those things are not things that that the brethren probably really need to know. Uh, and later, he, he, he didn't show up to church the next week, and so I called him, and he said he was really offended by what I said, and I, I had to explain to him, I'm not ashamed of the things that you did before you were a Christian. Those things are gone. They were, they were washed away uh, when you got baptized for the remission of sins. I said, but I don't want people to think less of you because you used to be a, you know, a drug user. I do have to make a side point. Now, there are times, though, when there are things that we wish not would be told, need to be told. Um, if we were to have someone who attended here who has had problems with um, sexually assaulting children or things like that, those are things that, for the safety of the children within the congregation, even though those are things that we ought not to hold against that person if they're living as a faithful Christian, those are things that the congregation would need to know. Um, if you're struggling with, with drug dependency, alcohol problems, again, you probably don't want anybody to know about that. You need to have a brother or a sister in Christ know about that. There are things that, that people don't need to know. There are some things that people ought not to probably ever really know. And then there are some things that your brothers and sisters in Christ, they may need to know. But certainly, we ought not to be using our tongues to go out and to do a number of these things that I've just mentioned, to talk about people behind their backs, to go out and to spread lies and to insinuate about people, to reveal secrets. Proverbs 11.13 says, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Uh, I have known a number of things that people probably did not want to have told. Uh, and the majority of times, those things don't need to be told to anybody. Uh, I, if, if I did know about it, I'd just keep it to myself. It's not, it's not my business. But again, let me go back to the example. You know, I was in a congregation where uh, we had a gentleman who had sexually assaulted um, uh, both young males and females, and, and nobody in the congregation knew. And, and I come to find out that um, one person did know that that person had been in jail for assaulting children sexually. Uh, and so I had to make that known immediately to everybody. Uh, because those things need to be, they, sometimes things need to be told. 
you really need to go back and in all situations ask yourself, what is my intent for telling this? Because some things really don't need to be told. Our mouths can be used to, as we've already mentioned, unnecessarily hurt people. Uh, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. You ever had somebody say something bad about you, and it probably hurt just as much as somebody stabbing you in the side of the gut? Probably, you know, you've heard about being stabbed in the back, uh, the idea that somebody might do something like that. Oftentimes, the wounds from our words are much worse than a physical wound. I've, uh, I've heard of examples of, of children who said, you know, I'd much rather have had my dad hit me than to say something to me like that, or I'd much rather have had my mom hit me than to say something hurtful like that. Sometimes our words, they really strike a wound that's much deeper than what any physical wound could do. Physical wounds heal. Sometimes the verbal, the verbal wounds, they don't heal. Now you may say, but sometimes the things that I'm saying are actually true. Well, as we've already mentioned, you need to ask yourself the intent behind revealing information. You're right, sometimes they are true, and sometimes they do need to be said. Let me give you a couple of examples here. I'm going to go over to 3 John, verse 9. 3 John, chapter 1, verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. You may be saying, why in the world would John say something like that? I mean, here he is talking about Diotrephes. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about people behind their backs. Why would Paul write this in his letter? Well, the recipients of this letter, uh, even though this is pretty hurtful to his reputation, and rightly so it should be, the recipients of this letter, they need to be warned of this guy. They actually need to have a clear understanding of how dangerous he is and really just how sinful and prideful he is. And so you may say, well, that's, that's pretty damning to his reputation. I mean, we really shouldn't be talking about people behind their backs. Fellow Christians need to know who this guy is. They need to know the kind of things that he's doing. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 through 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Right? Some, you hear people today all the time saying, you know, that's a private matter. You really need to keep that to yourself. Well, I don't, it, I don't know exactly what all was done here when he says he did me much evil. Uh, but he goes on and he says, The Lord will re reward him according to his works, of whom be thou aware also. Well, wait a minute. He's warning them. Why is he warning them? Well, he doesn't want the same thing to happen to them. For he hath greatly withstood our words. All right, so Paul literally names uh, Alexander the coppersmith. We've got Diotrephes who's already been named. And Paul says, here's the reason I'm telling you about this. You need to be warned about this. That's the same reason I said that if you had somebody, for example, that was within the congregation involved in, in sexual sin with a, a minor or something like that. Why would we tell the entire congregation? Because we, as a congregation, need to be warned. And that's exactly what Paul points out here. Now, regarding this with Alexander the coppersmith, this guy doesn't sound like a very good guy, right? And so Paul withstands him to the face. Paul literally, Paul literally addresses this. So for anybody who says, now wait a minute, this is a private matter. Uh, we're going to find out it's not a private matter. I don't know all the evil that he did to Paul, but I know this. Paul withstood him to his face, and he publicly addressed the things that he did. And you would think, most people would say, yeah, with a guy that bad, I mean, you should use your words to correct that guy. And you'd think the entire congregation would be on his side, right? They'd, they'd get behind Paul and say, and you know, Alexander, the things that you did here are horrible. But he goes on and listen to what he says. At my first answer, no man stood with me. They're not going to use their words to stand behind Paul and, and help carry out this discipline. But all men forsook me. As a matter of fact, they didn't want anything to do with it. You guys ever known that to happen in a congregation? Something clearly sinful is going on. You have one person with enough oomph and, and courage to stand up and go, this is wrong, and everybody else is kind of like... Right? That's confrontational. I don't, I don't even know that I really want to get involved in that. Uh, guys... Paul here is addressing Alexander the coppersmith, and he says, all men forsook me. We've known that it happens. He goes on, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. 
Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Yeah, whenever there's an event like that within the congregation and one person has the guts to stand up and stand against it, even though everybody else in the congregation may forsake that person and they don't want to get involved in it, you know, guess who's standing with him? Lord's standing with the guy who's being righteous and calling this person out. He says, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by, my, by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Our mouths sometimes need to be used to withstand people, to let other people know, as Paul did here, where he says, of whom be thou where also. You need to know about these things. Our words need to be used to correct people, but our words also need to be used to warn other people. But sometimes in that process, or sometimes not even in that process, they're actually used to intentionally hurt other people. That's not what's going on here. There are times when, when people sometimes need to know. Our words also can promote anger, and they do it in a number of way, ways. Have you noticed words uh, angering the nation? For those who, who are willing to watch the news, I haven't turned it on for a while. I go in spurts, and I didn't even really read much. I did go on to one, two news sites, three news sites today. Uh, I do read it occasionally, but have you noticed people using words to literally divide this nation in half? Oftentimes words are. You've got people standing out, oftentimes protesting, yelling at each other using the same language we're talking about not using, using hateful words we're talking about not using, some of the same words that we might use with our brothers and our sisters and our family or our brothers and sisters in Christ and our spiritual family, and you literally have people dividing the nation with their words. you got people literally dividing families with their words. Let's all of us be honest with ourselves for a minute. For those who are married, how many of you have used hurtful, damaging words to your spouse. And, and you wish you could go back and correct it, and you can apologize for it, but the damage is always there to an extent. And sometimes it takes a long time for that to heal. Uh, oftentimes words are, are destroying families, the relationships within the families. It's not just nations and it's not just families. I mean, it's happening here in our local communities. Uh, we, had, we had people fighting in Kalamazoo just a few weeks ago. And I don't really even care which side you stand on, whether you're f regarding this political nonsense we see going on around us. Uh, and, and I do believe one way, but that doesn't give me the right to stand out in my local community and literally try to tear other people down by using hurtful words, hateful words, which as you guys know, oftentimes result in violence. Do I have strong beliefs? Yes, but I've never gone downtown and um, attended one of these protests on either side. Why? Just imagine, it's pretty hard for me to, pretty hard for me to teach somebody the gospel when I'm out there yelling at them uh, and being involved in a massive protest. Uh, you think they'd ever study the Bible with me? No. And you've got people literally tearing the communities apart. You've got people literally tearing apart congregations. How many of you guys have seen people fighting within congregations? Hurtful words, hateful things said. Brothers and sisters in Christ literally talking hateful to one another, which is just as bad as spouses talking hateful to one another, or just as bad as physical brothers and sisters talking hateful speech towards one another. I will say that I get a little better every year, but I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But I, I would like to one day be able to emulate the way that Brother Garland Elkins could do it. Brother Garland Elkins could, seems like he could talk to somebody who was very angry and upset, and somehow he could talk with them in a way where he didn't ever give the appearance he was angry. He never gave the appearance he was upset. He could even use Bible verses and correct them and show them they're completely wrong. And when you got done, after he just cut you apart with verses and you felt like instead he gave you a hug. I'm not to that level. I don't know that I ever will be. But that's, that's what we ought to strive to. I, I would strive to be like that. Why? Because he strove to be like Christ. And he, does a, he did it a whole lot better than I currently can. And I think many of you probably know people in the congregations that you attend or even here who are like that. 
right? They, they seem to be able to have a way where they can discuss these types of things that oftentimes result in anger, and yet they can do it in a way to show you that they are a faithful follower of Christ and to try to lead you to Christ. Proverbs 26, 20, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. I think most of us understand we talk about the tongue being like a fire. Proverbs writer says, when there's not any wood, there's no fire. Right? I think oftentimes many of us have realized that as we were involved in a conversation, it might have been a little bit heated, but it hadn't gotten out of control yet until we released some of our words. Uh, and all we did was basically throw a spark on top of the fire that was already going. You guys know that oftentimes our mouths reveal the true character of the person who's speaking. Listen to Matthew 12, 34 through 37. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? That's a good question. It's pretty contradictory and illogical, isn't it? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Next time you're having an argument with your spouse, ask yourself where your heart is right there during that argument. And I'm talking to myself. I need to do that too, right? I need to ask myself, where is my heart right now that would allow me to say something this, this angry? A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by the words thou shalt be Condemned, And again, we're judged by the Word of God, John 12, 48. His point, though, here is, is this type of language really reveals the intents and the thoughts of the heart. Think about this. Constant criticism uh, often reveals that one is envious or that one has matters of, of insecurity. And many of you have seen this where... To make themselves feel better, they oftentimes have to pull somebody else down. And I think all of us at, probably at some time have been guilty of this. Again, it's another improper use of our, of our words. Our words, the things that we say oftentimes that are said rashly, uh, our words that are often said with improper motives, oftentimes reveal, at least for the Christian, spiritual immaturity. Again, and that's why I said... I, I've only been a Christian since uh, April of 2010. I've gotten better, but I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Uh, and the reason that I wasn't very good as a new Christian was because I was still spiritually immature. Uh, there was still a lot of things I needed to understand, not only in my mind, but also understand how to carry them out. And like the rest of you, I'm still learning on a daily basis. And that begins a lot with my tongue. Uh, constant murmuring and complaining. How many of you guys have ever known a Christian constantly complaining and murmuring about how bad things were? Guys, I don't think anybody ever had it worse than Paul. Paul probably had it the worst of anybody. In Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Why wasn't Paul constantly murmuring? He learned whether he had a lot or whether he had nothing to be content with that. Why wasn't he out complaining? He learned in all situations to be content. And so he wasn't going to use his tongue in that way because his mind was content, and therefore his words would show contentment. Well, I guess I went longer than I thought I was going to with the amount of notes I had. We need to realize the power of our tongue. It can be used for blessing and cursing, but like a fire... It can get out of control real quick, and can it, be, it can actually be used to destroy or to be destructive. And again, think about your personal relationships where we've not done a good job with our words. This really ought to hit home for each of us as a Christian. Many of us struggle with, with our words, and I'll say that uh, I try not to get angry, and sometimes what I do is I hold things in so long that when I finally have had enough, I just, I just release it all. Right? And what I've done is, is I've allowed my tongue to literally just spark out, flame out like a fire. And just for that which could be good, it's now being destructive. We have to learn that our tongues, uh, they can be used in a bad way. 
We need to learn to be on guard with what it is that we say. James literally talks about bridling the tongue, much like you'd bridle a horse. Again, there, there are some things that ought not to ever be said. And then there's some things, because we bridle or control our tongues, there are some things that need to be said. But we need to learn when and how we are to speak so that we can always please God. Now, as I draw this to a close, my concern would be for anybody watching this who's not a Christian. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I would encourage you, please look at the conversion accounts. Uh, understand that faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. You need to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. If you won't, you're going to die in your sins, John 8, 24. But part of believing that He was the Son of God also means you understand He came and He established one church, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. That He shed His blood for the remission of sins, Matthew 26, 28. And that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. And there's a consequence, which is death, Romans 6, 23. And because of that, you need to repent of your sins, as Jesus has commanded, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You also need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then you need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. It's a burial in water, Romans 6, 3 and 4. And baptism does indeed save, 1 Peter 3, 21. When you have done that and obeyed the gospel as declared in our scriptures, the Lord will add you to His church, Acts 2, verse 47. Again, if you're watching this and you've never heard that, We'd love for you to contact us via phone or via email. If need be, we'll even help you try to find a faithful congregation in your area. For those who are watching this who are Christians, please reflect back and consider for just a few minutes the words that you've used throughout this week. And if they've not been in alignment with what the Scriptures teach, I'd, I'd encourage you to repent of that, turn from it, and again, be faithful.